Welcome to Don't Call It Nothing, the podcast dedicated to the lost history of 90s roots, rap, and rock and roll. I'm your host, Lance Davis, and today we're going to visit the infamous year punk broke, or got broken, depending on your perspective, 1991. Before we get into it, though, I'd like to give a shout out to two people who just joined the Don't Call It Nothing family. First is the lovely Laura Levy in Seattle. She makes every room better, and that, my friends, is science. And then there's Bill 55-Hole Struven, phrasing. Last time I FaceTimed with Struven, he was wearing a Fernando Tati onesie. So he's obviously handling the quarantine well. I don't know about the rest of you. But Laura and Bill joined up at the $5 a month level. And let's face it, between the pod, the website, the Facebook, the laughs, the tears, it's like you're making money. So if you want to support punk rock musicology at the $5, $20, or even get nuts, $50 level, that's per month, not per day, go to don'tcallitnothing.squarespace.com or buymeacoffee.com slash pantsfuchus. That's pants like who's wearing pants, and then fuchsia like Confucius, and sign up. No pressure. Yes, I do want to support punk rock musicology. What a life-changing idea. Anyway, let's move on. Did you know this past Friday, July 23rd, was the release day for the 30th anniversary reissue of Every Good Boy Deserves Fudge? My honey, friends, you get the album proper remastered on marbled light blue vinyl, plus a second record on red vinyl with unreleased demos, alternate takes, singles, b-sides, that sort of thing. There's also a poster of the band included, which will be great for my dorm wall. So that's just me. Bonus. Check it out on the Sub Pop website or go to Discogs. That's where I got it. Those are my recommendations. Fudge is my favorite Mud Honey album, and I don't think it's all that close. Uh, obviously, Super Fuzz, Big Muff is flawless, but that's an EP. It's only six tracks. Obviously, you extend that over a full length. I kind of feel like Fudge is the only record front to back where Mud Honey just hits it. And I, I'll admit that there's a few tracks that I think are just, you know, pretty good. Uh, Move Out, Shoot the Moon, and Checkout Time. Those, I don't know, fillery, maybe. And I mean that in a, well, I mean, I don't mean that in a good way, but they fit. Stylistically, they fit. So, you know, they're fine. Not everyone is going to be you know, touch me, I'm sick, or in this case, good enough. You have 11 out of 14 tracks that are damn near flawless. Yeah, I think we're looking at a masterpiece. This is Mud Honey operating at peak efficiency, and I'm including uh, not one, but two instrumentals. Uh, the opener, in fact, Generation Genocide. On the flip side is Fuzzgun 91. That's the, I believe, the penultimate track on side two. Uh, They're total jams. And Genocide actually introduces Mark Arm on that 60s-style organ. I think it's a Farfisa. I could be wrong. Uh, But that's the first time that's heard on a Mudhoney record. It's also heard on Who Who You Driving Now. And that directly anticipates his work in Monkey Wrench, who will debut the next year, 1992, with the wonderfully titled album Clean as a Broke Dick Dog. But... 
You come to Mudhoney for the Stooges-influenced garage punk, and the album delivers repeatedly. Let It Slide, Thorn, Into the Drink, Who You Driving Now, like I mentioned earlier, and Poking Around, Loud Fifth Gear Search and Destroy Missions featuring Dan Peters' brilliant shuffling, just behind the beat trap work, Matt Lucan's squirrely bass, usually on or just ahead of the beat, Steve Turner's primal fuzz guitar leads, and harmonica, don't forget that, and Arm's steady rhythm guitar and all-time scream, and I think maybe Arm also plays harmonica, but I think it's Turner. The magic of Mudhoney really is bottom up. You start with Dan Peters, and without him on drums, it wouldn't nearly be the same band. You could get a technically better drummer, but Dan Peters totally fits Mudhoney and makes them as distinctive as Mark Arm's you know, cat scratch voice, which is, you know, one of the great rock and roll screams ever. Guitar-wise, I actually think Turner and Arm are a bit underrated in how they craft uh, guitar parts. But, you know, when you're talking about the great guitarists of this or any other era, you know, guys like Mark Arm and Steve Turner are never going to make those kinds of lists because they're just killer rhythm guitarists who just every now and then will stretch out you know, for a killer solo. One of the things I like about Fudge, though, is that even beyond the Stooges' influences and the Touch Me, I'm Sick template, you do have some stylistic evolution. Broken Hands, for me, is the one that stands out uh, because it begins with that coda riff that's on Cinnamon Girl. So what's funny is that Cinnamon Girl Neil Young uses that riff. It's the outro to the song. Mudhoney flips that. It's the start of the song. And then it goes full slow burn anthem. Some of Peter's, you know, it's some of his greatest drumming. And then Turner unleashes an epic distorto guitar solo from 448 to 543. Badass guitar that gives way to this oscillating feedback apocalypse. And so I got a quote from Mark Arm talking to the AV Club. Uh, Our musical interests are pretty broad and diverse. It's not like we only like Blue Cheer and the Stooges. We like Neil Young, and that was touched on in the first album. Come to Mind is kind of that. Our best fake Neil Young song is probably Broken Hands, and that's kind of a quieter thing, too, on the same record. As much as I love Discharges, Hear Nothing, See Nothing, Say Nothing, I don't want to do an album that's all almost the same song. So, unquote. And so that motivation to mix up the Mud Honey formula is why you have songs with Oregon, why you hear Neil Young references, and even why you hear jangly guitar and surf drums on a song like Good Enough, for which a video was made. Go check it out. Seattle music kind of was consonant with that Charles Peterson blurry black and white action photo, which were awesome. You know, but Ed Fotheringham's artwork was not part of that calculus. But in retrospect, genius move. The last thing the band wanted to produce was Super Fuzz Big Muff 2, you know? Or 3, really, because the self-titled kind of really is uh, Super Fuzz Big Muff 2. I say buy the reissue, check it out on Spotify. Every good boy deserves fudge as a rock and roll litmus test. I'm going to make a statement that I believe to be true. Some may think this is a hot take. I think it's just a take. The statement is this. Mud Honey is better than the Stooges. They've had a better career than the Stooges. If we put all of the Stooges songs 
on one side of a gladiator pit, all of Mudhoney's songs on the other side of the pit, and we have them fight to the death. Not only do the best Mudhoney songs match the Stooges' best, but the depth of the Mudhoney catalog will eventually force the Stooges' catalog to tap out. They're just, they're as good at their best, and then they've just been at it longer. If you think the Stooges are better, I'm not saying not great, but if you think the Stooges are better than Mudhoney, it's because you need the myth. Mudhoney is better because the songs tell me they're better. I also enjoy rewarding their hard work, longevity, and consistency. I'm not interested in facile boomer mythology. Also, worth mentioning, I can hear a bunch of Stooges fans talking about how great they were live. And again, not denying that, Crosley, probably, maybe even, I will grant you, better than any Mudhoney show ever. But I've seen Mudhoney play in four different decades, and they delivered the goods every time. So again, are you overvaluing the idea of the Stooges versus the reality of Mudhoney's consistent excellence? I'm saying that's what's happening. I want to briefly fast forward to 1996, because that year... Iggy released an album called Naughty Little Doggy. Y'all ever heard this turd? Oh boy. It's a rough listen, and it's a window into the 60s, 70s culture we continue to uphold uncritically as some sort of high-water mark of American culture. So I love the Stooges. I'm a fan of Iggy. But when the first lines in Look Away are... And I'm quoting now, I slept with Sable when she was 13. Her parents were too rich to do anything. That shit's creepy as fuck. Sable, of course, is famed groupie Sable Star, and she was one of the many teenagers groomed and abused by pedophiles who just also happened to be rock stars in a white suburban middle-class rock culture that encouraged closet predation and depravity. So in Pussy Walk, which was co-written with guitarist Eric Schirmerhorn, Iggy sings, and again I quote, I found myself surrounded by Latin American and dark women, and as I looked at their ankles, their knees and their thighs, and the curve of their bodies, their mysterious eyes, I couldn't help but thinking about their pussies. And as I'm processing that interesting take on racial relations, Iggy then sings, Now you know from time to time, my musical group and I have had occasion to visit the high schools, junior high schools, and other centers of learning in this wonderful land of the United States of America. And when I do, from time to time, I run into the young girls that attend these places, and I see them smiling at me with their young girl clothes, And while I smile back, I never say anything, but inside I'm thinking, can your pussy walk? Right now, there's a bunch of old white dudes making excuses for racist objectification, non-racist objectification, and just basic pedophilia because it's more important that their icon maintain his position of cultural privilege. They're just songs. Artistic license. What? Can't you take a compliment? They can't admit that for all of the talk about open-mindedness in the 60s and 70s, time and time again in that era, we see females as objects 
to be controlled and possessed. Even in a Mud Honey song like Sweet Young Thing Ain't Sweet No More, the narrative isn't exploitative. If anything, the lyrics posit a traumatic home life in which drug addiction and attempted suicide are symptoms of a deeper problem. In fact, there's no point in the Mud Honey catalog where I have to make excuses for Mark Arm's lyrics. It's almost like he was an adult writing songs for other adults. What a novel concept. Look, the Stooges are still a great band. They're just not as good as Mud Honey, and there's nothing wrong with that. In fact, on a similar note, I was recently having a chuckle on Facebook thinking about the myth about Dylan going electric, which has to be one of the silliest legends of all time. Dude plugged into an amp, and people act like he desegregated the Ryman. As funny as that is, that isn't even the most preposterous part of this myth. In order for Dylan to be the brave, courageous hero, he needs to have an equally terrifying villain. He's standing up to the man. No one tells me not to plug. See this plug in my hand? I'm going to plug it into that amp and you ain't going to stop me. And you know who that villain was? Folkies. Seriously. White-bred folkies who use such vulgar language as Judas. <laughs> Is there any realistic context in which folkies are threatening, legit threatening? Come on, you're at Kerrville and you hear, Rockers, come out to play, yay. Good Lord, Dylan was an acoustic musician and chose to play electric. Just say that. It's not that big a deal. Which brings me to the replacements. They retired after their July 4th, 1991 performance at Grant Park in Chicago. Their final album, All Shook Down, was released the previous year. Said they were basically running out the clock on that last tour. However, if you were in college radio in early 91, as I was, you would have received an EP that conveyed the strategic importance of the mats to the overall mm, sire reprise universe. That EP was called Don't Sell or Buy. It's crap. It's not crap. I don't know if I'd call it essential, but Ought to Get Love is a fun Chuck Berry type song. Satellite is Tommy Stinson's first proper song to be recorded. And while it sounds like a poor man's Paul Westerberg, it's kind of understandable that he'd start writing songs in that mold. As for kissing in action, I like the verses. Uh, chorus is kind of lame. Then there's like a rolling pin, a totally replacement-sized cover of Dylan, i.e. fucked up. No respect given. It's just amusing drunk rock. It's a one-off. And I'm not going to sit here in Struven's Fernando Tati onesie and claim that the Matt's cover is better than the original. It's not. You know, the original Dylan, like a Rolling Stone, is a certifiable classic. Don't worry, I'm not going to burn down the village. However, there is one moment of pure brilliance in the replacements version that absolutely equals the original and demonstrates why, for my money, Paul Westerberg was a better songwriter than Bob Dylan. Instead of singing, nobody's ever taught you how to live out on the street and now you're going to have to get used to it, Westerberg sings, nobody taught you how to live on $60 for three days, but you're going to get used to it. Dylan was a master of mythic, 
romantic exhortation. Same with Springsteen. Boomers love that shit. But I love that Paul kneecaps the romanticism with the depressing specificity of living on $60 for three days. By the way, that sure sounds like a per diem. When's the last time Dylan had a $60 per diem? 1962? Westerberg's casually unromantic realism spoke to me in 1991 and continues to do so. All right, enough with the big names. Let's get small, yo. The Slee Sisters, or a Japanese quartet whose sound sat in the power pop, punk rock sweet spot. Their guitarist Riko Kohala and bassist Mikako Honma came over from the 5678s, a Japanese band that most of you probably know from the Woohoo song as heard in Kill Bill. The Slee Sisters drummer, Haseyo, was an American Soul Spiders, a Japanese band who released the Spanish Doll 7-inch on Sympathy for the Record Industry in 1990. And that was probably the connection that got the Slee Sisters in at the label. And though they didn't release another thing domestically, the A-side is an infectious slice of pure pop. I defy you to not love it. From 1991, the Slee Sisters theme song. Ladies and gentlemen, your attention please, the Slee Sisters.
All right, that was the Slee Sisters from 1991, the year we are focusing on. And you can find that on Sympathy for the Record Industry. There's a comp that looks like that Rolling Stones album, Satanic Majesties. It's a spoof of that. Uh, check it out. I mean, check it out on Spotify first. There's a lot of good stuff on there. And uh, we're going to get going. You don't have to be a Slee Sister to subscribe to this podcast, but it probably doesn't hurt. Please go visit the Don't Call It Nothing Facebook page and website. Again, don'tcallitnothing.squarespace.com. Like, comments, become a member, tell your mama and tell a friend. We're going to 1992 next week. Talk to you next time.